This is Up Close, the research talk show from the University of Melbourne, Australia. I'm Dr Andy Horvath. Thanks for joining us. Today we bring you Up Close to investigations about our indoor air quality. Living in urban environments, we're often very conscious of pollutants outdoors, yet the indoor air environment can be a greater hazard to human health. Listeners may be familiar with the term sick building syndrome. It was coined a few decades ago. It's often used to describe unhealthy office workspaces. The combination of air conditioning ventilation systems, moulds, gases from chemicals used in building materials, office machinery and fabrics are increasingly under scrutiny. Meanwhile, in the home, consumer products like air fresheners, as well as cleaning, laundry and personal care products, all emit a range of what are known as volatile organic compounds, or VOCs. Some of these can cause harm to human health and indoor air quality, yet the ingredients are not often disclosed to the public. This is something civil and environmental engineer Anne Steinemann, our guest today on Up Close, would like to see change. Anne is an internationally recognised expert on environmental pollutants, who's also found that current consumer products marketed as green, all-natural, non-toxic or organic were not significantly different from conventional products when it comes to hazardous VOCs. Anne is now Professor of Civil Engineering and the Chair of Sustainable Cities in the Department of Infrastructure and Engineering, University of Melbourne. Welcome to Up Close, Anne. Thank you so much, Andy. Now, and what does indoor air quality actually refer to, and why should we be concerned about it? Indoor air quality refers to the health of our indoor air environment. It's very interesting because we tend to think that most of our exposure to pollutants occurs outdoors, but in fact, more than 90% of our exposure to pollutants that affect our health and productivity and well-being occur in our indoor environments, which can include our homes, schools, offices, as well as transportation. So what makes this so-called sick building sick? Well, a sick building means that the indoor air quality is causing adverse health effects in its occupants. And buildings can be sick for any number of reasons and types of pollutants. Some of the most common sources are the building materials and furnishings and consumer products used indoors. Can you describe for us some of the poor air quality and its effect on human health? I know quite a few people email you. What sort of medical issues are they coming up with? Well, I've received more than 3,000 emails from people around the world telling me that they became sick from their indoor air environments. And the types of health effects are diverse from headaches, dizziness, breathing difficulties, asthma attacks, seizures, nausea, flu-like fever symptoms, cold-like symptoms, gastrointestinal problems, so a range of adverse health effects due to exposure to indoor air pollutants. So how pervasive is poor indoor air quality and how does it differ to, say, the home environment or the office environment, school, shopping centre or even public buildings? Well, let me just say that indoor air quality problems are pervasive. They're ubiquitous. They're around the world. They are common to virtually all indoor air environments, whether it's a home, school, office, a car, a train. The types of pollutants may be different, but the underlying theme is the same, is that people 
people are becoming sick from exposure to pollutants that are common indoors. And the irony is that most of our exposure to hazardous pollutants occurs precisely in those environments that we consider safe. Our homes, in our offices, our indoor air environments. And that's what my research is investigating, is what are the sources of these pollutants and what can we do about it? And take us into an office and portray the chemical environment. Where are the chemicals emanating from? The chemicals can be coming from any number of places, but the primary sources are building materials and consumer products, such as cleaning products, air fresheners, personal care products used by people indoors. It can be from the building materials like the paints and the carpets and the furnishings, manufactured wood products, uh, varnishes. So the types of pollutants that we find indoors that are causing health problems are actually quite different than they were 50 years ago because we have a lot more volatile organic compounds, semi-volatile organic compounds, and new types of materials that didn't exist 50 years ago. And this is quite separate to microbial infestations, um, fungal infestations, and ventilation problems, as well as carbon dioxide. Right. So I have focused on the chemical pollutants, but things such as mold can also cause problems with indoor air quality. People have different levels of sensitivity to these chemicals, but nevertheless, when you see patterns of people getting sick in these environments, it normally indicates there's something there. Exactly. Everyone is chemically sensitive to some extent. Some people have very severe acute reactions, such as seizures or asthma attacks or headaches, where other people may be affected, but they don't realize they're being harmed by the chemicals. And this is why I call this the problem, the hidden hazards, because the hazards are hidden in three main ways. First is the chemicals. We don't necessarily see the potentially hazardous chemicals in our indoor environment. Another reason that they're hidden is that the effects are often very subtle and cumulative and subclinical. They don't manifest in a dramatic disease the minute you're exposed because we're exposed to these chemicals chronically from many different sources throughout our daily life. And another reason that they're hidden hazards is that these potentially hazardous chemicals are not generally disclosed on product labels or material safety data sheets. So again, it's this paradox is where most of our exposure to hazardous pollutants that affect our health occurs indoors. But these indoor environments are not regulated and the primary sources of pollutants are not required to disclose all of their ingredients. During this interview, Anne, you've used the term potentially hazardous. Are things hazardous or are they potentially hazardous? Can you just clarify that term for us? Thank you so much for asking that question, for the opportunity to explain a little bit more about hazards and toxicity. Chemicals that I found in the products, such as formaldehyde, are a known carcinogen, and they're in the products. Now, the extent of the hazard or toxicity depends on the exposure situation. So just because a chemical is in a product doesn't necessarily mean it poses a hazard. It will cause an adverse effect in a human. So when we think about hazardous or potentially hazardous, I just wanted to make sure to emphasize that everything depends on the exposure situation, even though chemicals may have known toxicity or known to be carcinogens. So if I compared outdoor air quality to indoor air quality, which is worse? Well, in most urban areas and industrialized countries, the concentrations of hazardous air pollutants indoors are often several times, if not several hundred times greater 
indoors than outdoors. And if we look at it from a total exposure perspective, where are we exposed to our pollutants? More than 90% of it occurs in indoor environments. I'm Andy Horvath, and you're listening to Up Close. In this episode, we're talking about indoor air quality and human health with civil and environmental engineer Anne Steinemann. I want to move now to air quality and the related issues specifically in the home, in addition to some of the same issues we find in office buildings. There are all those consumer products that are advertised to keep our environment and our bodies clean, like air fresheners, deodorants, shampoos and the like. For most of us, by the time we open our doors to head off to work, we've already interacted with a dozen or so products. And take us on a tour of consumer products. What's in them and how do they affect indoor air quality? Well, I might preface this by saying I got interested in this topic because I had received emails from people around the world telling me they were becoming sick from common consumer products, products such as air fresheners, laundry supplies, including detergents and fabric softeners and dryer sheets, personal care products, um, sunscreens, hand sanitizers, lotions and shampoos, and a wide range of cleaning products. And I'm trying to figure out what's in these products that are causing these effects, because these are products that are supposed to be pleasing to people, but people were reporting that they were becoming sick when exposed to them. So what I did is I analyzed a wide range of consumer products to try to figure out what was in them. In my most recent study, I analyzed 37 of the best-selling consumer products in the categories of air fresheners, laundry products, cleaning products, and personal care products. And about half of these had some claim of being green, organic, natural, or non-toxic. What I found was surprising. These 37 products emitted collectively more than 550 different volatile organic compounds or VOCs. A VOC can be thought of as like a fume. Nearly one-fourth of these VOCs are classified as toxic or hazardous under U.S. federal laws. However, these chemicals are not necessarily regulated in the products, meaning they're they're considered toxic or hazardous if they're found in other environments or other media. For instance, if it's coming out of a smokestack or a tailpipe, it would be regulated. If it's coming out of an air freshener, it was not regulated. So, Anne, How do we know that these VOCs become pollutants that become real neurotoxins and carcinogens that have an effect on the human body? Well, this is a fascinating question because toxicity is very complicated, as you might imagine. Chemicals can be toxic in and of themselves. They can also have additional or synergistic toxicity when combined with other chemicals. And also, the most common chemical I found in the fragrance products were terpenes, things such as limonene, alpha-pinene, beta-pinene. Now, what's interesting is the terpenes themselves can have some inherent toxicity, but when they get into the air, they readily react with ozone to generate a range of secondary hazardous pollutants such as formaldehyde, acetaldehyde, and ultrafine particles which are linked with lung and heart disease. So there's a very interesting because chemicals individually can be toxic. Together in mixtures, they can have synergistic toxicity. And then when they react in the air, they can have a whole different range of secondary pollutants that they generate. Wow, so it's not just the VOC in the air freshener, it's how it reacts to ozone in the air and creating a 
cocktail and a soup of VOCs that didn't exist before. Correct. And we have very little information, knowledge about the toxicity of mixtures. Now, when you asked your good question about how do we know VOCs are toxic? Well, the question of what is toxic, again, is very complex because chemicals can have different effects on different people. The same chemical can cause someone to have a migraine headache or an asthma attack. There can be links with endocrine disruption, immune system dysfunction. So any chemical or mixture of chemicals can have a range of different effects in different people. And then some individuals are more susceptible to chemical exposures as well. Another interesting point is the problem with low levels. So people may think, well, these chemicals are at low levels and we shouldn't worry. Well, not necessarily. Low levels can mean high risks for several reasons. One is we're not just exposed to one chemical at one low level at one time in our life. We are exposed to these chemicals in multiple environments, in multiple products, and oftentimes chronically and cumulatively throughout our lives. And so if we can think of like cigarette smoking, people who smoke a couple of packs of cigarettes a day for their life, it ends up in disease. So we have to think about the cumulative effects of chronic exposure to these chemicals. Another problem is that these chemicals are not in isolation. They're in mixture with other chemicals, and we have very little information on how these mixtures of chemicals can ultimately harm human health. There's another issue, too, and that's that some of these chemicals have non-monotonic dose-response relationships, which means lower levels can actually have a more hazardous effect on human health. Things such as endocrine-disrupting chemicals can be hazardous at very low levels. And there is a final point, too, is that people have adverse reactions when exposed to small amounts of these products. So instead of asking the question, well, these chemicals are at low levels, people shouldn't be having effects, I look at it the other way, that we have significant and substantial scientific evidence that people have adverse health effects when exposed to these products and these mixtures of chemicals. So what's in the products and what are the mixtures of chemicals and what are the exposure situations that are causing people to have these adverse health effects? And tell me about products that are labeled non-toxic or organic and green. Are they any better? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that was the real focus of my study, this most recent one. When I analyzed 37 products, about half of them made some claim of being green, organic, all natural, non-toxic, or with essential oils. Now, what I found was that First of all, all products emitted potentially hazardous chemicals. There wasn't a single product that didn't. But another more striking point is there was not any significant difference in the potentially hazardous chemicals emitted from the fragranced products that were regular versus the fragranced products that claimed to be green, organic, natural, or with essential oils. So basically, if it had a fragrance in it, it emitted potentially hazardous chemicals. What about aromatherapy products? There have been numerous studies that have analyzed aromatherapy products and found that essential oils can emit potentially hazardous chemicals such as benzene and toluene, which are known carcinogens. Also, from the epidemiological studies that I've conducted, that people do report adverse health effects when exposed to these products. So again, I would caution people is just because something says aromatherapy or essential oils, it doesn't mean that it doesn't emit potentially hazardous chemicals. I'm Andy Horvath, and our guest today is engineering professor Anne Steinemann. We're talking about environmental pollutants in consumer products and the problem of indoor air quality right here on Up Close. 
And is stricter regulation of indoor air quality the key? There is widespread recognition among government agencies that indoor air quality is a major problem. It's a major unaddressed health risk. In fact, there have been studies indicating that indoor air quality is now the number one global environmental health risk. And in Australia, there's been a report citing that it leads to more than $12 billion annually in lost worker health and productivity. And the statistics are similar around the world. So there is recognition that it's a problem, that it's an unaddressed health risk. But right now, there are no major regulations addressing indoor air quality or even programs to monitor indoor air quality in Australia or in other major countries. So that's, again, the paradox. Even though there may be some laws to address worker health in certain occupational environments, but in general, our indoor environments are essentially unmonitored and unregulated, yet it's a primary health risk. All that said, there have been some voluntary movements to try to improve indoor air quality. An example of this are the fragrance-free policies, which are sweeping the countries around the world. The recognition that reducing or avoiding exposure to fragrance can help those who are both sensitive to fragrance chemicals as well as help the general worker population. I imagine some individuals need to avoid the perfume department in department stores. Yes, fragrance is a term that really refers to a combination of several dozen to several hundred chemicals. Most of these chemicals are synthetic. Even fragrances called natural fragrances nonetheless have synthetic chemicals. So a fragrance is not just one chemical. It's a very complex mixture of chemicals and it's often added to products, added to our consumer products, our shampoos, our soaps, our cleaning products, our detergents. So, and if we got the labelling right, we could create new markets for better consumer products. Well, this is what's so interesting. For foods, all ingredients are required to be disclosed, except for certain things such as flavours, which are very similar to fragrances. However, for general consumer products such as air fresheners, cleaning products, laundry products... Those products do not need to disclose all ingredients, and there is no law anywhere in the world that requires a disclosure of all ingredients in a chemical mixture called fragrance. Now, for the class of products like personal care products in cosmetics, they do need to disclose their ingredients, but they again can just say the term fragrance rather than disclosing the ingredients in the fragrance. I've noticed some building ratings around the country, and This tends to refer to how green they are in terms of how energy efficient they are, but they haven't addressed indoor air quality, have they? Well, not necessarily. Some of these green building programs do have sections that provide credits for indoor air quality, but they tend to be a very small part of the overall program. The focus on green buildings has traditionally been on energy efficiency. Now, what's interesting is that very energy efficient and tight buildings can concentrate the indoor air pollutants. So there's been kind of this trade-off between energy efficiency and indoor air quality. However, there's a trend now in green building to recognize the importance of health. So healthy buildings has now become like the new green buildings because companies and public agencies and the occupants of the buildings themselves are realizing the benefits of having healthy indoor air quality because it leads to improved worker health and productivity, reduced health care costs. It makes economic sense. Absolutely. 
How can we spur greater public awareness of the issues? First of all, by programs such as this, where you can have researchers speaking about what they have found in their research, because even though I consider it, it's an epidemic. There are buildings around the world that have indoor air quality problems. In fact, it's hard to find a building that doesn't have some sort of indoor air quality problem. But the public is now just gaining awareness of it. So it's really three parts of this. And one is the public, another is government agencies, and another is the industries and the manufacturers. And with greater public awareness, when they become aware of the links between exposure to pollutants and health effects, and then also what they can do to improve their indoor air environments. And I think that will bring around more attention by government agencies, more regulations, and then the industry may start to reformulate products to make them acceptable to greater numbers of consumers. What can I do as an individual? For example, do indoor plants actually work? This is a great question because the good news is that there are things that we can do as individuals to improve our indoor air environment. And there has been significant research done on plants and the ways that they can improve indoor air quality. But thinking about consumer products, um, people ask me, well, what should we use? Given that you've tested all these consumer products and they all emit potentially hazardous chemicals, what can we do? Well, one recommendation is to go back to using what our grandparents use, very simple products to clean with, such as vinegar and baking soda, what's called bicarbonate of soda. Because you you can clean perfectly well with combinations of these types of very simple products that you don't necessarily need combinations of chemical mixtures to clean well. Also, to think about dealing with the source of the pollutants rather than trying to mask them. For instance, instead of air fresheners, which can emit a range of potentially hazardous chemicals, and air fresheners are not designed to disinfect or clean the air. But instead of using chemical products to mask the problem, instead, increase ventilation, open up a window. And we all like to be fresh and clean, but we may not want to use vinegar or bicarb. So where do we go? That's a common question I get is given that I've tested all these consumer products and all the ones I tested emitted potentially hazardous chemicals, what options are there? Well, what I recommend is that whenever possible, choose fragrance-free versions of the products. Now, the fragrance-free versions don't have the mixtures of fragrance chemicals that the studies have shown to be problematic for individuals. For instance, I conducted two national epidemiological studies in the United States and found that over 30% of the population surveyed reported adverse health effects when exposed to fragrance products. And these products are particularly a problem for people with asthma and other sensitive individuals. So even though fragrance-free doesn't guarantee a non-toxic product because there can still be potentially toxic chemicals in the main product base, nonetheless, it reduces the hazards associated with the addition of the fragrance chemicals. So that's my main recommendation is to choose fragrance-free versions whenever possible, and also in cases to avoid using things such as air fresheners, which aren't designed necessarily to clean the air, but instead add a range of chemicals to an existing air quality problem. And a lot of people wear fragrances, but there are a lot of people who are very sensitive, like asthmatics. Can you comment on that? That's one of the most common things I hear from people around the world is that they have adverse health effects due to other people wearing fragrance, using fragrance products, um, cleaning with fragrance products, using air fresheners, even washing their clothes in scented laundry detergents and dryer sheets. So it's a problem that I've coined 
called secondhand sense, referring to the adverse health effects caused by one person's wearing a fragrance product on other people. Now, I've done several epidemiological studies of the links between exposure to fragrance products and asthma. And what I found is that fragranced products are a primary trigger of asthma attacks. I found that air fresheners triggered asthma attacks in 40% of asthmatics and scented laundry products triggered attacks in 20% of asthmatics. That's extraordinary. Yes. In fact, it's a problem for people in the workplace who have asthma because they often have to go home. um, They can't go to work. They love their jobs, but they can't be in the office because of the use of scented products. So a typical scenario is, in fact, I'm dealing with a case right now is that there's two asthmatic women in a workplace here, and they're unable to be in the office because of the use of scented products in the workplace. Now, they love their jobs. They want to be there, but every time they go into work, they get sick. So they have told their supervisors about the problematic products, such as air fresheners. The supervisors look at the labels of the air fresheners, and it says things such as organic perfume and essential oils. And then the supervisors say, well, look at these air fresheners. They're perfectly safe. They just have these very you know, simple sounding ingredients. But what people don't realize, and this is what my studies revealed, is that these products don't disclose their ingredients. So in my studies, fewer than 3% of any ingredients were disclosed. And also claims such as green, organic, all natural essential oils are very misleading and essentially meaningless because there are no regulation of these terms on consumer products. I should say that when it concerns foods, Certified organic means something when it concerns food. There are very strict regulations for certified organic. But oftentimes, consumer products and even some food products may toss around the term organic, green, natural, non-toxic in hopes perhaps to increase sales. But what my studies have found is that chemically, there's no real significant difference between these products and the other ones in that all the products emitted potentially hazardous chemicals. And thanks for being our guest here on Up Close. Thank you so much, Andy. We've been speaking about indoor air quality and consumer product emissions with environmental pollutants expert Anne Steinemann. She's Professor of Civil Engineering and the Chair of Sustainable Cities in the Department of Infrastructure and Engineering at the University of Melbourne. You'll find a full transcript and more info on this and all of our episodes on the UpClose website. UpClose is a production of the University of Melbourne, Australia. This episode was recorded on the 23rd of April, 2015. Producer was Eric Van Bemmel, audio engineering by Gavin Neighbour. UpClose was created by Eric Van Bemmel and Kelvin Parham. I'm Dr Andy. Cheers. been listening to Up Close. For more information, visit upclose.unimel.edu.au. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Copyright 2015, the University of Melbourne.